join me in reading the litany printed in your church bulletin. We are a people of hope. Last Sunday, the frail light of a single candle dared to pierce through the darkness of desolation and sin. Hope lives in us and will abide with us. Today, we will light the candle of peace. This light, too, must break great darkness. Peace is not merely the absence of war and conflict. Peace is the fullness of blessing for all. This is the peace for which we dare to hope. The Christ comes to bring peace to those who have been separated from God and one another. In the name of that child born so long ago, we light the candle of peace. In following Christ's teachings, we nurture our hope for peace even today. You may be seated. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church on this second Sunday of Advent. This is the first time I've brought the gathering from standing right here, but it's not a bad place to do it. Welcome especially to those of you who are guests among us. We are glad that you are here. There is on the edge of your order of service a a response sheet that you can put your name and address, and it's a way of me connecting name and face with you. Also, for any of you who would like to make a prayer request, uh, place that on that sheet as well. Drop it in the offering plate when it's passed. It's an honor for our deacons and for our staff to pray for you uh, and by name and by need every week. Um, one of the persons that is preaching today is not a guest. It's Dr. Reverend Dr. Karen Massey, and she's been loved by you, and she has loved you for 30 years. <laughs> That's right. She came on staff when she was three. That's right, 31. But uh, she will be uh, preaching today, and uh, I'm grateful for you doing so. Some have asked what I'll be doing. I'm playing with my colleagues in the Northside Drive Baptist Church ringers. Um, I was carrying bells around, and someone asked, are you, uh, since we don't have the little drummer boy, are you the little handbell boy? Uh, Pretty much. Pretty much. We played the introit, we'll be playing the offertory, and Dr. Keith Walker, our director of music ministries, wrote accompaniment so that we will be accompanying uh, all of the hymns. But kind of like the, uh, the little drummer boy song goes, that each of us brings who we are to God as we are, and we bring our gifts, right? And God blesses us. It's kind of like the song goes... Welcome. 
The prophet imagines a day of peace on earth. A reading from Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. Here ends the first lesson. Now let's say our prayers together. Well, good morning, God. After days and lives of chasing peace through Atlanta traffic, we are here in knee-high galoshes to acknowledge and try to practice the bottom line, that any peace worth its name begins in your profound faithfulness, righteousness, and love, and you tell us to strap it on like a belt. Isaiah had it right. There in the middle of peaceable kingdom poetry, that in its wholeness, peace will come, or even in its wondrous snippets, peace can emerge when we live more in love, in justice, than the need to be right or to wield power. You remind us through the text to put on your righteousness, not ours. Your faithfulness, not our forgetfulness. Peace can emerge in moments of awe before you and willingness to participate in your ever-eternal pattern of creative and transforming love. Sometimes to be changed by it. So in truth, this little body and the body of Christ around the world can say, Peace be with you as our source of comfort and courage, no matter what is happening. So together we name peace be with you for those in this body who grieve. Peace be with you, Mona Steins, Joel Stouffer, Jordan Clark, Andrew Taylor, Barbara Ashley 
and others in the death or near death of family members. Or for those for whom this season is lonely and stirs up lingering griefs. Peace be with you, we name loudly and boldly for those in other kinds of pain or displacement, physically, vocationally, emotionally. Peace be with you, be with you. And when we don't know where else it shall be, we pray together our peace be with us. As we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A time of gratitude, compassion, and memory. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians, from chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Here ends the second lesson. Children, would you come forward at this time? Hey, everybody. 
Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good. Well, it's good this morning. Okay. Come see for me, okay? All right. There we go. Everybody seated. Everybody can see me? Well, today we're going to have a little lesson because today is the second Sunday of Advent. The second Sunday. We're still waiting, okay? We're still waiting. And speaking of people who are still waiting... I brought some guys to show you. Who are these little people? Shepherds! Look, I even brought their sheep. You know, back on the first Christmas night, the shepherds were waiting. They were two people that were waiting. And they were out in their field with their sheep. And, you know, it was at night. And it was out in like a big open field. And up in the sky, what did they probably see in the sky? The stars, because it was it was nice and quiet. You know the next answer, don't you? It was it was nice and quiet and peaceful. Hey, when you feel peaceful sometimes, do you like take a little sigh like Yeah, yeah like can you sigh for me peacefully? Can you go? That's very peaceful, very nice. So, you know, the, the shepherds, they were very peaceful. They were looking around. It was quiet. And then, all of a sudden, in the sky, they saw an angel. And this angel came, and this angel told them about Jesus, where baby Jesus was, where he was going to be born. And then, all of a sudden, there were... More than one angel. I only had two. But there were lots of angels in that peaceful sky. And they came, and you know what they said? They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And today, on our candle, you look in our Advent wreath, we lit our second candle of peace. And you know, when I talk about peace, you know what I think about? I think about this thing that's kind of like a secret church handshake secret, not so secret, and you do it in worship, and it's called the passing of the peace, and sometimes you do it, and you, it's sort of like a greeting, but it's even more than a greeting, it's a way to, to give peace to everyone that's in worship that day. Pastor Daniel's going to help me, we're going to, like, do it, and then I want you guys to do it with each other, okay? this. You say, peace be with you. That's how it goes. Can you guys pass the peace to each other's turn to the person around you and say, peace be with you. And then say, also with you. Okay. All right. So we passed the peace. It's kind of nice to see each other smiling. And that's really great. And you know, I brought you something else in here. And these are some hands, and they say exactly what we just said. On each hand it says, the peace of Christ be with you, and also with, and it's, it's blank. It doesn't say you. So on the hand, you have space to write maybe somebody's name at school, or somebody in your family, who, or somebody on your team, or someone in this church. 
that might need some peace this Advent season. So write their name on there and say a little prayer for them. And then I want you to go out to the narthex and hang it up out there, okay? All right, you guys, let's have a prayer, and I'll pass you your hand. Bow your heads. Dear God, thank you for your peace that comes to this earth through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that we might help to bring your peace to all the people in the world with our hands, our smiles, our hearts, and our prayers. Amen. All right, y'all, take one of these.
beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist, a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 3. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was ruler of Galilee, his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, in that year, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, out in the wilderness. And John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, just as it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, saying, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make the Lord's paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All dogs go to heaven. At least that's what the Disney movie told me when I was growing up. For some people, that may seem like a silly idea, but I kind of like to imagine that I might get to see my dogs, Alex, Bailey, and Sam, again someday. But believe it or not, in recent years, ministers, priests, and religious scholars have written books on this subject of whether or not our pets and other animals will share paradise with us. While most writers agree that the Bible doesn't offer much help in answering the question, many of them first look at the book of Genesis, where both animals and humans live in peaceful harmony, a wonderful and insightful glimpse of the paradise that is yet to come. It makes sense, therefore, they say, that the same loving creator who arranged for these animals to enjoy happiness in the original garden wouldn't want to exclude them from the final paradise. The writers then refer to the scripture that we read just a few moments ago from Isaiah as a poetic picture of God's final kingdom, where humans and animals live in harmony once again thus demonstrating that God's message of redemption will have a saving impact on the whole family of creation, not just the human family. I, for one, think it would, would, would be kind of nice if we could take this text from Isaiah literally. 
It would be wonderful, at least to me, if God's eternal reign of peace would include all sorts of animals. A preacher friend of mine once imagined it this way. He says, What if in paradise you could bury your face in the golden mane of a lion and pet him till he purred? What if goats are best friends with bears in heaven and the lamb and the wolf have conversations while munching clover for breakfast? While I would love to spend eternity with animals, my hunch is that this text has more to say about God's peaceable kingdom than about stirring within us the hope of an eternal petting zoo. This text from Isaiah is a poetic picture of the peace that God will make one day in this world. All of creation will live in harmony, and the world's instruments of war and death will be remade into the instruments of God's peace. Swords will be beaten into plowshares, spears made into pruning hooks, and sharp claws and talons will be transformed into healing hands. But for me, it's hard to imagine such a vision of peace when so many fangs are bared and so many nations and factions are growling and clawing at each other. Peace seems to be a distant reality when our nation continues to experience political discord, pitting friends and family members against each other. When racial, gender, religious, and cultural differences are misunderstood and people respond to one another out of fear and violence. When rattling sabers ratchet up the anxiety between our country and North Korea, when there is ongoing unrest in the Middle East with the civil war in Syria and the war in Afghanistan, and when a surging humanitarian crisis in Yemen takes the lives of countless children each day. I don't know about you, but in such a world as this, it's hard for me to even hope for peace. But in looking for a way that the Isaiah text for today may speak to us, I want to refer to three of my favorite theologians, a Quaker artist, my mother, and children. In 19th century America, there was a Quaker painter named Edward Hicks. He is most famous for his painting called The Peaceable Kingdom. The painting is his interpretation of today's text from Isaiah. I'm sure you've seen it. It's a painting of various animals gathered around a small child. Hicks is known for his many attempts at trying to get the painting just right. His desire was to get the perfect visual interpretation of the peaceable kingdom. And in all, he painted over 60 versions. As a Quaker, Hicks believed that the light of Christ dwells in all of us. He believed that others would be able to see that light in us if we live lives of peace, harmony, and grace. The early versions of Hicks' paintings reflect Edward's inner peace. One could see that all the animals and the child wore faces of contentment. Their images even reflected a soft, glowing light. 
But if you study the paintings over time, you will notice that the animals begin to look more and more ferocious. They lose their sense of contentment, and the light surrounding their faces begins to fade. In his personal life, Hicks was deeply troubled by the various theological debates that had torn apart relationships in his Quaker family. As he became more and more disturbed and disappointed with the conflicts among his friends, the harsher his paintings looked. He kept trying to paint the perfect vision of the peaceable kingdom, but it became harder and harder for him to get it right. At the end of his life, Hicks confessed that he wasn't satisfied with his work. He confessed that he was never able to perfect the image of the peaceable kingdom. When I was a little girl, my bedroom was filled with stuffed animals, and a version of Edward Hicks' painting of the peaceable kingdom hung on my wall. Each night before saying my prayers, my mother would point to the painting and ask me this question. So Karen, tell me, were you a lion today or a lamb today? <laughs> tell me about a time when you were strong and brave today, and tell me about a time when you were kind and gentle so I would think back over my day at school and talk about those times when I stood up to the bullies or when I was welcoming to the new kid in the class. But my mom was very intentional about talking about those times when the lion and the lamb in me needed some taming. She also wanted to talk about those times when I was inappropriately angry with a friend or those times when I was too timid to take a stand. Every night before going to bed, my mom would use Edward Hicks' painting as a way of teaching me about those characteristics that lead to peace. Many years ago, when Day Spring Summer Camp was going on here at Northside Drive, I happened to walk past the five-year-old classroom. I could tell that the boys and girls in the class were arguing about something, so I stopped outside the door to listen. Apparently, the girls wanted to play with the kitchen set and pretend that they were cooking. The boys didn't want to play with the girls, so they decided that they were going to play cowboys. The girls were mad that the boys wouldn't play with them, and the boys thought it was too sissy to play in the kitchen. Then the boys suggested, well, why don't you girls come and play cowboys with us? And the girls said that cowboys was a stupid thing to play, so they refused to play with the boys. And then the boys got mad because the girls wouldn't come over to their side. As you can tell, in this, this story happened a long time ago when gender roles were more narrowly defined, but you get the point in a minute. Everyone in the story was bickering, and one kid said that he was going to go and tell the teacher. Well, all of a sudden, a little girl spoke up and said, Wait just a minute. I know what we can do. The girls can be the cook that make dinner for everybody, and you boys can be the cowboys that come and join us for dinner. Well, all of a sudden, everybody stopped arguing. Everyone was happy and getting along. 
You see, it occurred to me that her solution was not one of either or. Her solution was one of both and, a solution that was inclusive rather than exclusive, a solution that made for peace. While we know that the peaceable kingdom is something only that God can bring, I think that Edward Hicks, my mom, and the children were onto something. They all knew that peace is hard to attain, but they also knew that it must begin within us, within our own hearts. During this Advent season, as we seek and pray for the day when the peaceable kingdom becomes a reality, we can let the promise of that day have more power in us. As a preacher friend of mine says, the existence of violence and rage isn't just the problem of a snarling political and violent world. It's the problem of my own snarling heart and your heart too. Carl Sandburg once wrote a poem called Wilderness in which he said this, There is a wolf in me, fangs pointed for tearing gashes. There is a fox in me, I nose in the dark and steal the chickens and eat them and hide the feathers. There is a fish in me, a baboon in me. There is an eagle in me and a mockingbird. Oh, I got a zoo. I got a menagerie inside my ribs, under my red-valved heart. And I am the keeper of the zoo. Preacher friend Dr. Paul Duke wrote that once, that once that the first great work of God's Messiah is to come to the bloody zoo in you and me and to teach the lion and the lamb to live in harmony. Christ comes to tame and harmonize the warring selves within us and make us a whole self at peace. Which is not to say that we're all alike. The menagerie in each of us is different. In some of us, the angry lion is dominant. We tear at others and we tear at ourselves. We lash out at those we love. There's an untamed aggression in us that destroys relationships. In others of us, the passive lamb is dominant. We're timid and afraid. We're never willing to roar even when roaring is called for. We live like victims blaming others for our predicament. But the work of Christ is to take the aggression in us and to make it a more peaceable strength and to take what is timid in us and make it more brave. It is in the life of this one that Scripture calls both the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God that we are able to see that the Lion and the Lamb can dwell together in peace. Or wasn't Jesus like a lion? Didn't he roar with judgment and strength? Wasn't he fierce and terrible to the powers of evil? And at the same time, he was the gentlest lamb who cared for the weak and forgave all sin. In these days of unrest in our world, our hearts long for the Prince of Peace and his coming kingdom. But rather than standing around, gazing upward, open-mouthed, and wondering when the kingdom will come, maybe we should start practicing the peaceable kingdom. 
This doesn't mean that we are all to rush off and open wild beast training academies in which leopards are trained to curl up with the goats. But what it does mean is that we are to do some animal training in our own lives. In the gospel lesson for today, John the Baptist proclaims that we are to prepare the way of the Lord by making crooked paths straight and rough places smooth. In ancient times, when a person of royalty would travel from one town to another, there were those persons whose job it was to travel ahead of the king to make the roads smooth and level and straight. As we prepare for the coming of the Messiah, maybe the gospel lesson is calling us to do some work within ourselves, some personal animal training that smooths some of our rough places and straightens out our crooked places. So, instead of aggressively seeking revenge, maybe we should turn the other cheek. Instead of roaring words of hatred, maybe we should speak kindly to one another. Instead of cowering to the powers of injustice, maybe we should be bold in standing up for the oppressed. Instead of abusing creation with our pollution and garbage, maybe we should be loving caretakers of all of Earth's living things. When Messiah comes, there will be such peace. But until then, I am reminded of the familiar song that says, Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. So, in this time of Advent, let the animal training begin. Amen. Each time a word is given, an invitation to discipleship is extended. And perhaps God has been at work in you, and you'd like to make that known to the congregation. You can do that as we sing this hymn of dedication, 304. 304, come down, O love divine. And I love those, the, the closing lines of that first stanza. O comforter, draw near, within my heart appear and kindle it your holy flame bestowing. So may God draw near as we sing hymn 304 and we stand.
Each time we gather, we bring uh, celebrations and concerns and other announcements, and I want to bring a few of those to you this morning. Uh, First, we announced last week that there is a a devotional uh, called Memories that's been written by members of Northside Drive Baptist Church, and there's still several copies available in the narthex. Pick that up as you leave if you don't have a copy, and it's online as well. And I've just been moved by how deeply personal uh, many of these reflections are like just to read Joe Meeks's uh, entry on Wednesday of this week, deeply personal, and then illustrated by this lovely drawing by Matilda Bokhaus. So our children have illustrated these passages. Pick that up as you leave if you're interested. Directly after the service, we'll have a family luncheon and a cookie decorating party in the fellowship hall. And then the Tuesday of this week will be our Triple E Christmas celebration, and our very own Keith Walker will be singing uh, solo. Is that right, Keith? Solo? He, a- he asked me to do backup, and I, I said no. Um, we do have some great news to share with you this week, that Melinda Clark, who until Monday of this week we had listed as our interim organist, accepted our offer to become the organist, Melinda We celebrate with you. Thank you for joining us. We've been so delighted to have uh, her expertise, her gifts, and her joyful spirit with us. So be sure to say a word to her if you have a moment. Uh, This coming Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent, we call it Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday. And it will be a day of rejoicing um, as our choir will be giving us a gift of singing two major pieces Uh, The chancel chancel will be filled with a nine-piece string ensemble, so you don't want to miss that. Please come bring family and friends next Sunday for Gaudete Sunday. That's going to be a high point, to be sure. But we're aware that uh, not every day or week is a high point, and uh, it hasn't been for many in the congregation uh, this week. Uh, We mourn with several families as they grieve the deaths of close family members with Andrew Taylor for his aunt, Marcia Brookins, with Jordan Clark, for his brother, Doug Clark, with Mona Steins, for her sister, Dee Cowan, and we just learned this morning for Barbara Ashley, for her brother, Brian, who died peacefully during the night yesterday. We pray for all of these. May Christ watch over each of you and these dear ones we've named this week and forevermore, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now we have a gift, and the gift is uh, the music of the handbell choir. Let's sit back and wait for God to fill our hearts with joy. Thank you. 
is filled with war and violence, and yet you bring peace. And our neighbors bring partisan bickering, and yet you bring peace. We mourn, and yet you bring peace. So comfort us in our grief and in our violent ways, and redeem these gifts for service in this church and in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.
hear this good word. And now to the one who by the power at work among us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ever ask or imagine to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever. Amen.